Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students and the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Jing Lu to the show. Welcome. Welcome, Jing. Hey, hey. Thank you so much. Jing Ying? Uh, I'll say Jing as in Jingle Bell. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you are the Director of International Programs here at SBCC? Sorry, August 1. So are you, are you getting kind of your sea legs underneath you? You getting a feel for the program? I mean, every, everything's kind of coming along. I mean, how have you felt getting, you know, integrated in the program? How do you think the program's going? I feel, I mean, in general, I feel like I have a pretty good sense of things. I feel like that first year, you always feel new, right? Like every day something comes up like, oh, I haven't encountered this before. Let me go ask somebody who knows the answer. I think it takes at least a whole, a full cycle and season to to really feel I don't know, embedded with confidence about, about my answers, but definitely I feel like I have a sense of things. And I feel like I was fortunate to start when I did before the students and semester started. So I had a couple of weeks of just kind of laying low and learning about different constituents, contacts. And then when the, the semester started, it definitely felt different, right? Like more energized, all of a sudden more meetings popped up, more engagements popped up. So yeah, it's been really good. And I've had some recruitment travel as well. And you touched on an important piece there, the, the institutional knowledge of having someone that you can ask mm-hmm. about things because there's times where you don't not sure who to ask and then you yeah. have to kind of figure that out. But once you have like that core network, you can go from there and then kind of figure out, you know, the lay of the land, so to speak. Yeah, I feel so, like I'm in a unique uh, and fortunate position, right? Like the person that I report to was in this position and she's terrific to work with. I can always go to her and my colleagues here and my team have a lot of institutional knowledge as well. So like, I'm just surrounded by people who who know a lot. <laughs> That's a good p- position to be in. And a couple episodes ago, we had Miguel on the show. He yeah. was he was your international ambassador and now he's moved over to the basic needs. But know, he, yeah. he did touch on some of the pieces of the program and it and it did kind of really highlight how important the international program is to the kind of campus culture here at SBCC mm-hmm. in terms of providing that, you know, the uh, rich kind of all these viewpoints come in, all these kind of cultures coming in and the interaction between the students. It's it's really cool to see when the diversity on the campus, how, how much that is fleshed out from our international students. Ha, have you noticed in, in terms of them coming in for the fall, is, is it kind of normalizing as well? Because, you know, we're kind of still slow, you know, coming, we're, we're, we're pretty, we're out of the pandemic, but we're just kind of, just kind of winding back into whatever the new normal is. Are students coming in kind of ready to go or is it still a lot of... Mm-hmm pieces you know working working them into kind of getting getting ready for school and everything else right yeah I think like a couple pieces to that answer maybe like mm-hmm. I feel like I mean this is all I've known I didn't know SBCC International in 2016-17 right so but my understanding is numbers are still I mean the lowest that they've been so we're intentional about trying to grow those numbers and bring more international students on campus and uh, sort of diversify that population as well so that's the goal in the office. And I think that being said, the students who come in are pretty prepared. Like my team and the office have done some things to make that transition and the process smoother for them um, in terms of like enrollment, getting the information they need before they come. So the first week of fall or the welcome week was, I think, evident of that. Like students came in seemingly pretty well prepared. There were fewer questions. I mean, they came in informed, right? They weren't like swarmed by very basic questions. So that's always a good sign and a good foundation to have as we're trying to grow numbers. So hopefully we'll just have a, a bigger group of students who come in well-prepared. Yeah. I feel like it's such a complex student population, right? Because you have the the cross-cultural elements. You're coming to a uh, a cultural setting, a pedagogy that you're not accustomed to. And then there's also the pandemic, which is a huge impact on just student development in general. And I'm assuming a lot of the students in the past three years haven't had a lot of just personal face-to-face engagement as well. So it's just being cognizant of that, like a a lot of things (laughs) happening for them and and culture shock as well, right? So just adjusting and we want to be here and be as supportive as, as possible. So. Yeah, I guess, I guess that was a point I was I was going to try to make in terms of mm-hmm. preparation. I mean, I've never even moved out of the state of California, mm-hmm. so I couldn't imagine moving internationally or even even like you moving from East Coast to West Coast. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so much involved with that. I mean, how how do you and your team even know how to prepare 
or how, or I mean, you, I mean, I guess, you know, to expect the unexpected and to be able to pivot really rapidly and just whatever they need, you're there for them. But mm-hmm. in terms of your, the net that you cast, how do you kind of make sure that it has that coverage? And I mean, it, it kind of can't <laughs> you yeah. know, full, but you know, yeah, man, that's a great, yeah. A great question. Cause how do you be there for them in, in different ways? I think they're, they're layers, right? So the very basic foundational layer, you tell them about all the resources are offered at university. So you kind of show them the lay of the land. There's a PD class that my colleagues <clears throat> teach as well, right? That gives them in-depth exposure and, and takes them on a tour of campus and, and connects them personally to different resources. So I think that's the very basic layer, right? And then it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. right? You have your basics and then now, now what? And each student has individual, I think, challenges and and how they thrive. So we just try to be, um, I think Miguel said this as well, like a home away from home and having a very humble approach to that. Like, we don't know where you're coming from. Tell us what your experience is and we'll try to try to help you. So I think just being accessible is another layer of that. You know, I used to to actually process back in the day, I'm going to date myself, but hmm. I used to process uh, international applications. Okay. Pre, not pre-internet, but pre-international students uh, office or international office having its own website. And so I was always amazed by one at the, at, I think at the time it was probably at the height or the peak of international enrollment and just seeing just so much diversity and where all, all these students are coming from. And also actually being able to realize how much the global economy impacts our student enrollment. Mm-hmm. So like at times when the economy was really robust and in and, and Japan, the numbers of students were higher. And then after the Japan, it kind of shifted and you know, moved to kind of like China and there was like a lot of uh, students enrollment. So it was always kind of interesting to kind of track and gauge that. And then I always knew with the Swedes that, you know, their government is really progressive and pays for a lot of their schooling. And I just want to say, like, I'm so appreciative of your office for so many different ways, because it really is like Hong just alluded to it. Like, he's like, look, I've never even moved outside of the state of California. It gives our students um, at SBCC an opportunity to have enriched conversations and form bonds with students that they normally wouldn't maybe necessarily do. I know a couple of students in particular, like our student workers at here in the missions, mm-hmm. they made friends with some international students and, you know, they basically went and stayed with their family over winter break mm-hmm. uh, in their countries. And it's just that type of enrichment that the international office brings to our campus um, is super important. Yeah, no, Absolutely. I mean, I, I talk about the international student advisors here and they do their fair share of meeting with students, but also shout out to like the ambassadors and any resources on campus and just organic connections, right? Where international students are able to feel a little bit of, I don't know, connection or rootedness to the community. Like that's so important. And you touched on, yeah, kind of external factors that influence international enrollment as well. Like we can try our best to to intentionally market and recruit and and that's what we are doing. But they're also, like you talked about, currency fluctuation with Japan. It just made it really cost prohibitive in some cases for them to, to come here. Or we used to have a pretty robust, I think, Brazilian population because yeah. there was a government initiative that was funding things and that disappeared, right? So not just SDCCs, but other colleges and universities saw a huge decrease in Brazilian students and then geopolitical reasons as well. I mean... China and U.S. aren't on the smoothest of terms right now. And then like when I go visit, there's just, I mean, the first question is about safety, right? And how the U.S. is portrayed in the media. And I mean, not just portrayed, but you can imagine how that's just amplified. And recently with, you know, Lewiston and and UNC and like these things are top of mind for, for students and families in particular. So it's just a lot of external forces that are not fighting against, but it's just working with yeah yeah and it does it does go to show in terms of once they get here it'll be it'll be okay but it's just mm-hmm. the fact it, you know trying to con- convince them and, and tell them it's a, it's a good place to go and it definitely is because like you said these these are trends that are nationwide in education in general it's not an it's not an sbcc problem mm-hmm. it's a you know it's probably a worldwide thing in terms of overall kind of enrollment and things like that these things kind of ebb and flow together but 
we're doing the best we can and we'll do what yeah. we can. In terms of for students that are curious and interested, what's the best place to start? Is it the website or are there other resources you want to recommend for students that might be interested in enrolling at SBCC I, internationally or? Good question. I think for us, like specifically SBCC, just go to our website, .edu international, right? And there's information there. There's an interest form that students can fill out. We're also trying to, I think, for other markets, establish presence in like channels of communication that are, that are familiar to students. So for example, like WeChat in China and just trying to have more more presence that way instead of the multiple steps that it might potentially take for students to, to be engaged. But for now, I mean, the, the website is always a good uh, resource. Mm-hmm. And, I will, and I will definitely put all that info in the show notes. Segue into our next section. What brought you to SBCC? Jing, if you would like to kind of walk through your path, of starting at whatever point you'd like and just uh, how you got here. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Which point? I could start like in the womb if I wanted to. <laughs> Please uh, do. Whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. <laughs> I'll, I'll take us through the, the, the many decades very quickly. But I was born in China and immigrated to the U.S. when I was close to nine. So and raised in mostly in Florida. So personally being a product of a bicultural upbringing, right? And then went off to school, studied abroad, and I graduated a semester early, sort of unbeknownst to me. It kind of surprised me. I I think towards like November of my senior year, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I have everything I need to graduate. And do I want to pay tuition for additional semesters? So I finished in December. And because of that was, I mean, absolutely not job searching or have my future in mind. I was a psych major, which prepares you for nothing and everything. And so serendipitously had an opportunity to teach in, in China for like a, a, a gap year, um, if you will. And that experience, it was a, a cross-cultural, like a U.S.-Chinese joint branch campus. And that kind of ignited my interest in international education. So I would say that's probably a formative year of my life. And then came back to States, did my graduate work, and then have been in, yeah, this field for the last dozen plus years. And my background is mostly in study abroad, uh, which means outgoing mobility, right? So U.S. students enrolled in U.S. institutions, studying abroad in other countries, whether that's through exchange, through faculty-led programs, et cetera. And that's what that piece of it drew me to to here, to SBCC. And I've, I've moved around quite a bit as well. So no stranger to kind of picking up and completely entering a new community and institution. And this job is so cool because it allows me to do half study abroad and something that I'm very confident and adept in and also have responsibility international recruitment like we just talked about. So it's a way for me to learn and just be hands-on with recruitment, enrollment management, and that portion as well. So it's like, I want to keep learning. I want to be surrounded by people who care and are are passionate about what they do. And I feel like, I mean, I'm only three months in, but this is like a great fit. And I'm just super thrilled for this opportunity. You studied abroad. So where did you study abroad at? So it's kind of a source of quote shame because like people who who work and study abroad they like kind of like to wind up each other but like i went to this super non-traditional place i went to florence italy which is like the mecca of study abroad and when i tell people that that they're like seriously you went to you went to florence it was probably Um, awesome though right it was awesome it was because i as again a bicultural kid every single opportunity i get i i got i was going back to china visiting family so like Asia and, and that part of the world was familiar to me already, but Western Europe was completely new. So that's kind of how I came to that decision. And yeah, I mean, I'm friends with, with people I met on that experience to this day, and we try to do reunions. And it's just, I tell students, it's not just about studying abroad, right? Like there's so much about yourself that you you develop. There's personal development, growth, there's transferable skills when you're budgeting for yourself, when uh, time management being able to see the world in less black and white terms. Like there's all these things that happen that you're, I mean, you may be aware of in the moment, but I mean, 10 years out looking back, you're like, oh, that's, (laughs) that was was quite an exercise and growth. So Yeah. 
Yeah, someone who never studied abroad. First time I when I went abroad, the first places I could go, I went to London and Paris, the most vanilla places, <laughs> and the, like like non exotic, nothing. And but I had a great time, you know. Like yeah. I, I mean, but it felt very familiar. So you know, I'm not gonna lie and say, but you know, right. at least Paris they spoke a different language, but London it was just like oh, but it, but the history, just the mm-hmm. history, architecture, just just the features of that. I mean, it was good enough for me. But I wanted to touch on a couple things. I mean, in terms of your life, your life experience has mm-hmm. set you up well for the position you're in today because you talk about going to Florida as a nine-year-old from China. I mean, <laughs> trying to acclimate and get used to, and you know, like that whole thing. That's kind of a lot like how the, the international students, when they come here for the fall, if they haven't been to California before, they haven't been to Santa Barbara before, mm-hmm. that kind of feeling out process. And you talked about even in your role, you feel like it takes a whole year to get comfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. that's knowledge from experience that you're like, okay, I... You, it takes time to acclimate and then, you know, to, to figure things out, to get the lay of the land. You're not coming in thinking, oh, I'm just going to come in, put my stamp on everything. You're actually taking the time to learn about your surroundings and learn the systems before you come in and, you know, and start domineering or, or whatever, whatever that word is there. But it's really kind of, it's a commendable skill because I don't think that happens enough for folks that come into situations. They, you know, a lot of times they, it's just, yeah, I noticed that right away. And then another shout out, shout out to the gap year taking a year off to teach, you know, go to go to shine and teach. And that helped. That was a formative experience for you. You said a lot of folks feel that pressure after they graduate, they have to do something, they have to figure it out. They have to have all the answers and know everything. So it's good on you that you, you didn't feel fully committed to that, to a path and you, you did something else. And then it worked itself out that way. I mean, my sister is also a psychology major mm-hmm. and it took her a little while. I mean, she didn't do the full gap year, but she did take that time to assess things. And, and yeah, that, that kind of reflection, and everything that just speaks very highly to, to your character and, and, and mad props. Got to oh. give it up. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you say. And I think a lot of that is, I mean, happened as a result of circumstances. They weren't necessarily active decisions at that time, right? Yes. Um, but then, I mean, life is just really a series of opportunities and you take them where you don't. And I think it takes, again, a little bit of distance from that setting or situation to be like, oh, this is how all the puzzles kind of fit together. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's why I I tell people all the time, a lot of times people force it. They're like, you know, they think they've had an easy life or they think they've had this and that. They want to force situations on themselves. Like I want to really put myself into the struggle or I want to put myself into that. And I'm like, I'm always like, whoa, whoa, you know, life will do that for you. Very, you know, life, life does that on its own. <laughs> yeah. The, the circumstances and confluence, the factors we find ourselves in, you be put into situations where the decisions you make will have far reaching consequences, super impactful and you won't know it in the moment, but hindsight will will kind of fill in those gaps for you. So if you just kind of like live your life, it, th- those things will find you. So yeah. sometimes when you force the issue, it doesn't even work because you might not even be ready at that point. So you being able to kind of take things as they come. And it's a, it's a patience issue too. You know, I mean, a patience question, like, are you willing to be patient and let things flow as they should? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people aren't. And so they kind of push the issue. And that's when they end up getting into situations that might be, you know, kind of unwieldy. So it's a lot of, like you said, a lot of just consequences or, or circumstances that really just kind of work out and shape you to be the person you are. And that it's it's really good that you you were able to to kind of get that time and and, and do do that reflection and make it happen. And also, your shout out of Maslow's triangle earlier. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of times, once you get that bottom level, you think, oh, you're ready to go. But Maslow is like three or four layers deep before you get to that top self-actualization. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't think we ever really get to that. I feel like that's just like a, the cherry on top that you just, you'll never get to. But You don't but yeah, feel actualized, Tom? <laughs> I, I, what does that even mean in terms of fully exactly. cap, capital S self, you know, capital S, capital A self-actualization? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Like that's that's a level of confidence and, and borderline arrogance that I, I just can't, I just can't put on myself. So yeah, I don't think I'll ever get there, but. You know, one thing that you kind of also touched upon that you said that you really enjoyed about your job is the, the kind of the marriage between the international the incoming international students, as well as the outgoing, the study abroad piece. And that to me, is that piece to me is really appealing. I was just kind of wanting you to maybe expand a little bit more on that, because I think, you know, thinking about my life and thinking about people who have similar or that comes from similar places and backgrounds similar to me really don't ever think that traveling abroad is actually in the cards for them. And I mean, I've fortunately have had the good fortune to be able to travel pretty extensively to many different places, although never Europe, just because that's not where my interest is. But can you maybe sh- or share with the listeners that 
if you're a student or you're a parent of a student and they're interested in possibly studying abroad here at Santa Barbara City College, kind of like what, where would they go and how would they kind of start to get the wheels spinning on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's so many actual barriers and perceived barriers in study abroad. Regardless of where I've worked, I think there's always at the forefront of their mind is study abroad is not for me because it's too expensive. I don't have the luxury of going because it would delay my graduation, which also comes back to, to money, right? And family support, parental guardian support is so important in that. And there's a lot of misinformation there as well. So I think, I mean, specifically an SBCC student who wants to go abroad, go to our, I hate to just direct students to website. Um, Nicole is our advisor here as well. So you can always come in in person and talk to, to us. But SBCC slash study abroad is a good resource to go to and it will show all of our in-house programs, right? And all of our programs are faculty-led, whether that's a summer program or a semester program. But there are a lot of funding available as well, like both internally at SBCC through the foundation, through different resources, and externally different governmental or private organizations. So if you're a Pell Grant recipient, like the Gilman Scholarship that Miguel was a recipient of is, yeah. is, a, is a huge sort of chunk of money that can really offset your cost of study abroad. And I mean, listen, Santa Barbara is a really expensive place to live. So sometimes going abroad to a destination, your cost of living is, is lower than mm-hmm. it is here in Santa Barbara, right? I mean, there's so much I can say about, about study abroad, but that's, I think, I would just encourage students to at least explore it. Don't write it off and say, this is not for me. Do your research first, talk to the people, and then decide if this is the right fit for you. I think students who have studied abroad, in fact, when I talk to students as an undergrad, say that was a highlight of their experience. The most memorable, the most transformative, the most fun, and potentially the most challenging. And the people who haven't studied abroad and this is a vast generalization, but they think back and like, oh man, that's my one big regret. Like yeah. I did study abroad. Right here. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think both sides of that is true. So definitely at least explore that for yourself. If you're planning to transfer, it's it's definitely like less expensive to do it as a student SBCC, right? Because you're paying SBCC tuition. Whereas if you go through a third-party program or if you wait until you transfer into a four-year institution, that cost is going to be more expensive because the fee of going abroad, right? How much it costs to get there, how much it costs to, to stay there once you're there, it's going to be the same. But the tuition portion is definitely lower to go now. Shout out to Nicole Walther. We, uh, she, I know how much work she puts into the study Absolutely. abroad website, so I will definitely put that in the show notes. I know my personal biggest regret is definitely not doing study abroad. I was <laughs> Not only was the cost... It was also, I didn't want to be traveling and going to school. It's, I mean, it just tells you how bad of a student I am. I didn't want to travel and go to school at the same time mm. because I didn't want to have, like, I, when I travel, I want to just travel, you know? But mm. but then the folks tell me, I mean, like like I said, like you were saying, no one's ever said anything bad about their study abroad experience. And all the students tell me it's so manageable and it's nice because you have a bunch of peers going through the same thing as you. So your experiences you can share is a very communal thing. So, so absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, and there's, and FOMO is a huge, my students don't go abroad. They have their network here. I worked at an institution that had a really robust athletic program and people wanted to stay around for basketball season. And I mean, I respect that if that's a priority to you, but like expand your, your campus, expand your network, right? Missing out on certain things that you already know that are familiar to you here doesn't mean when you close that door, you open the door to other experiences. Yeah. Um, and I mean, how many opportunities do you get after you leave school as an adult to like actually live somewhere for abroad for three months, right? That's so, so rare to come by. You know, I'm in the space with the students and I tell them that often, you know what I mean? Try to leverage studying abroad if you can. I mean, I know our foundation does so much and, and, and support, you know, uh, like you said, it's just not worth writing off. And also too, like what you kind of alluded to earlier about the the benefit and the enrichment that you get from traveling is so, it's so, every time I travel and I come back, I always feel like I appreciate where I live more because of mm-hmm. where I was just at. And then also I recognize where things can actually get better 
here in this country. And so mm -hmm. it's like through the opposites, uh, having an opposite experience, do you really understand like what you have? And I feel so many people in, in our country just don't travel outside of America and just miss out on so much good, great things. And, and so, yeah, I just think it's important that we, you know, try to push or at least give students that option of, hey, have you ever thought about studying abroad? Because mm -hmm. definitely it enriches their life, it enriches their college experience. Yeah, 100%. I think, right, what's that that quote? Like traveling is is lethal to ignorance or something like that. I'm completely mm -hmm. butchering this quote. But, but yeah, you have a better understanding of your host culture. And then when you come back, right, a better understanding, appreciation, and just critical thinking of of your your hometown or what yeah. you're accustomed to as well. And you see it through a, a totally different lens. Yeah. And then I think for the flip side of that coin, like I recognize it's a privilege to go abroad and not everybody has, it's not just the cost, but also the opportunity cost of being abroad as well, right? So some people are just not able to make that work at this point. And I feel like international students in particular bring, kind of bring that international experience and globalization on campus to you. So there's a way for students who don't ever set foot outside of uh, Santa Barbara to also have that international experience and and I think that's the beautiful gift that international students provide is, is a way to internationalize this campus and bring resources and opportunities to the community. Yeah. And that's the nice part about living so close to LA as well, because for the international students, mm -hmm. the ones, a lot of them that miss that, that one piece of home, I mean, LA has a lot of regional diasporas in the community. Mm -hmm. So if you want really regional, like Chinese cuisine, you can go to LA and get it. If yeah. you want really, really regional Mexican cuisine, you can get it. If you want certain European delicacies mm -hmm. and cuisines, there are restaurants there. You know, there's, and you know, Westwood has the the, the Persian Persian diaspora, and there's it's just so many groups where students that come here to SBCC and soak up, you know, Santa Barbara and and this culture, but then they miss a little bit of home. You can do that weekend drive to LA, get that little dip there, and it's and it's like it's not quite there, but it, we can always meet you where you're at. Is where is kind of where I'm getting in terms of you can interface with it as much as you want. You know, if you uh, like I said, I'll put the study abroad website in the show notes. You can see different semesters will be have different class focuses. Mm -hmm. So if there's certain classes that you really wanted to take while you're abroad, I mean, you know, it might be a film class one semester, it might be English classes or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, various other, you know, science classes. So, so definitely worth checking out the website and at least, at least entertain the idea. Like Akil said, don't discount it or don't say you can't do it till you, till you take a look and just assess the situation. So. Yeah, Absolutely. I would say ask the question, right? The if you get a no, it's a no. If you don't ask the question, it's an automatic no. So Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. Segwaying along to our next section. <laughs> Good eating. Any food item, piece of you know, something you cook, where you something you ate, something you grew up eating. Um anything you want to share with us, feel free to kick mm. us off. Yeah, I think I'm just going to keep it generic because I'm new I'm new to town. So I can probably name, count the number of, of restaurants I've actually been to in my hand. So most places I have not yet been to. And I'm looking forward to kind of exploring different restaurants in and, in and around the region. But I think for me, just growing up with a comfort food, and I've heard you talk about this in, in past episodes, brothy noodles as yeah. <laughs> as a generic category, just it feeds, it feeds my soul. Like when I'm hungry, when I'm down, um, especially on a nice, a cold day, just any kind of brothy noodle. It could be pho, right? It could mm -hmm. be braised beef noodles from Taiwan. It could mm -hmm. be udon. It could be ramen. Like I just, yeah, it, it's so comforting. <laughs> Have you found a brothy noodle in town yet? Have you tried any, any of them or? I'm exploring, but I recently, somebody told me about Nika, Nika Ramen. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. And that was pretty good. I mean, yeah, being, that was the first ramen place I've tried so far. And it was, it was, yeah, decent. So I will, I'm going to need to go back to all the episodes and <laughs> write down all the recommendations. And I'm happy to take recommendations from you guys as well. You got the Yelp well, whisperer right here. Akil no, got I, it. I know, look, I know Hogs chopping at the bit to, to drop. I know he got probably like. <laughs> five or four in the mental Rolodex that he's about to drop <laughs> on you right now. So, well, ahead. you know, again, again, I will say because LA is so close mm -hmm. that you're, I mean, you're really going to hit, hit your stride. I mean, there's a lot of great places in Santa Barbara for, for brothy noodles because you have, like you said, Nika ramen, 
there's the, the pho places, Noodle City and Galita. Mm -hmm. There's SB Pho in Santa Barbara. I mean, Moon Fan, you know, the Thai places in town will get you your Tom Yum and, and all that. But mm -hmm. that, you don't always get noodles in there. Empty Bowl in the public market has the okay. Bangkok Street Noodle and Boat Noodles. So they, they do the noodle them. soup there. Um, I'm trying to think of a place where you could get beef, you know, that beef noodle soup. I'm thinking Sue's Bowl in Isla Vista. Okay. They do some Shanghainese stuff and they, so they do like, they'll do like, they have like lamb noodle soup and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they might do the beef noodle soup as well. Cause I know they have a, the beef roll as well. You know, the, mm -hmm. with the green onion pancake that's strapped with scallions and stuff. So Sue's bowl and Isla Vista might have that. Uh, and then, then Uniboil. The no, what was the place that we went to in Ventura? Oh, uh, tasty China. I believe. Let me, let me okay. double check. Yeah. That place. That actually is a great, in terms of the beef noodle soup. That's exactly yeah, what you ordered when we went there. Does. Yeah. So awesome. we went there. It's a funny story. We went there one night. It was like Hong and a couple of other of our coworkers. And I ordered the noodle soup. I, I, I was thinking like afterwards, I was like, dang, like I thought I was supposed to share. I ended up eating the whole thing like by, <laughs> by, by myself. But the beef noodle soup was really good. Yeah, that that really would be good. the closest approximation. If Sousa Bowl doesn't have it, then Tasty China Inventura would be the place to get that kind of Taiwanese style beef that beef noodles will too i will yeah. be driving to Ventura. And, yeah and their shaolong bao is very good too and takes each other awesome because that's why we went we went because uh one of their one of the person people we were eating with hadn't hadn't really had soup dumplings before mm -hmm. and so the ones in town are pretty good but then this one had some kind of award and i'm, I'm again i wasn't sure if it was a paid off award i'm like some of these some of these chinese restaurants <laughs> you give them 50 bucks and you're like oh the list of top <laughs> restaurants you know whatever so you never know but when we went the shaolong bao were pretty good so yeah Awesome. Are you good at eating salambao? Are you a pretty neat salambao eater? I I mean, I had to I had to learn the hard way. I burned my tongue multiple times, especially yeah. not just shaolongbao, but shenjang bao. You know, the bao that are like a little bigger. They pan fry the bottom. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a bao, but, then you, but those are huge. It's a crusty that, bao, yeah. Yeah, the crusty one. That has a huge splash. Shaolongbao, the splash is is bad, but the shenjang bao, I was like, dang. I'm, I'm my, my tongue is done right now, but I mean, you know, you live and learn, live and learn. Now, now I do the, that's right. Then that's how I taught them a little nibble slurp, yep. and then you finish it off. Let the First, steam I'll, out a little bit. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the price you pay for delicious food, right? So. I was hitting it like a boba ball at first. I was like, yeah. and it was over. So oh, that, gosh. but like I said, that was the folly of youth. You know, when you think you're invincible, you're like, I can't be that bad. It's like, ah! you learn yeah. that lesson once and that's, that's all you need. Right? Luckily, yeah. luckily the place also had the Taiwanese slush. So I could get the ice to cool the, 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 the shaved ice to cool off after, but yeah. Awesome. Shout, <laughs> shout out Kang Kang food court in my, in Alhambra. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Hong is a quite because we ate at, at another place in Thousand Oaks too. That we mm -hmm. went, I forget the name of that place, but I'll it look the, it up right now I'll, and I'll put it in the show notes. I think it's called the E Loon or something like that. Yeah, E L O N G. Yeah, they had Shaolong Bao and they had uh, various dumplings and they actually brought it out with a nice bamboo tray. Like the presentation was was pretty immaculate yeah, there. Yeah. The mm -hmm. nice crimp on the dumplings, you know, when you fold, like they really, it wasn't just like a assembly line just cranking them out they actually have the nice little pleats and stuff so yeah but. yeah awesome <laughs> yeah i taught and not taught but i was a resident director this was a contract gig in taiwan for a couple months and man did i eat i just that was the other than working with the students and seeing their transformation the the eating was like um <laughs> There weren't enough meals in a day for me to just try everything. Every, every meal, I was like, well, man, what am I going to have now? But you walk into this like little hole in the wall, right, place, and you basically say three words, and they'll know you order. You tell them the size. You tell them it's a wide or thin noodle, the type of noodle, and yeah. the, the cut of meat. Uh, so it could be like meat or kind of like innards, right, and or a mm -hmm. mixture. So you just say yeah. three words, and they bring it out to you in 90 seconds. And then head down, you just slurp your noodles and then get out of there and, and turn over the table. So, which is yeah. <laughs> so nice. Hey, if you want to throw a Taiwanese place in the show notes, I can drop a link for, for anyone who is who's planning to travel. If there's any locations that you remember. <laughs> gotcha. I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you know. Yeah, I don't quite remember the, the address or the name, but it was, yeah. And I guess I had one more question. Since, you mm -hmm. know, you mentioned growing up, growing up in Florida, how yeah. was the Chinese food in Florida? I mean, because your parents, did your parents eat? I mean, my mm -hmm. parents still like default will want to eat Chinese food above all else. Like they'll, they'll eat a little pizza here and there, but mm -hmm. like when, when they have a choice, they'll always go for Chinese food. So were there enough restaurants, you know, where you were that you could kind of mm -hmm. like they were, they were happy or, or was it? I mean, the easy answer is, is no. 
<laughs> I grew up in a small town between Tampa and Orlando. <clears throat> so Mulberry Lakeland, for anybody who, who knows that. And at the time, it was not a very significant Asian population. I was, I remember being in elementary school when I first arrived, literally the only Asian kid in the entire school. And there was, weren't really even Asian grocery stores. So, so you couldn't really find even the ingredients to, to cook Asian food. After I left school, like my parents moved to Tampa, things like more immigrants started moving in. So now there's a really robust, in Tampa, at least Chinese community and in Lakeland, and you can find all kinds of food. But back then, I mean, yeah, we ate, you know, those like frozen fake meat things that you bake, like the Genio turkey things. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, a layer yeah, of yeah. white meat and a layer of dark meat. Like, I don't know why we probably didn't have it that often, but that's just like it sticks out in my memory growing up in central florida is frozen genio fake turkey <laughs> but now my mom is a wonderful cook like every time i go home i learn something from her and she'll just be in the kitchen for hours and hours a, a day so i'm spoiled well you definitely have to check out noodle city because if you're like about the hole in the wall that's definitely mm-hmm. for the this location it's definitely a hole in the wall i'm sure there's a lot there's levels to this game, right? But mm-hmm. for this area, I think the whole the wall would be definitely Noodle City. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm there. Maybe this the weekend. Punk's, Punk's thinking he's like, yeah, Noodle City, famous cafe. I mean, there's there's enough places. I I always think about that the coating on the table, you know, like for mica, mm. kind of smooth that where that wipes off stains easily. If you have that, where you can just get a white rag and wipe the table and just comes clean, like yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm looking for. So absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> More like plastic seats. Uh, in Asia, it's like the tiny little plastic stools that like are a foot and a half off the ground. <laughs> yeah, with the with yeah. the weird animals. I mean, my mom would always get the ones from Chinatown that had like a lion's body and an elephant's head or vice versa. I'm like, what, what, what? But okay. <laughs> if you feel like you're kind of squatting and sitting at the same time, then it's probably a good place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember, in, you know, when I was in Japan, uh, those fine places like that too, just those small hole in the wall, like, can't sit comfortable but when the food's brought out to you you, like you forget how you were sitting and how you even did it those are those places always hit different yeah thank you thank you for that let's see i'm i'm trying to think i will go with a couple places that i've been to recently I want to shout out Sasson Latino, which is, uh, you know, they've, they've been in my neighborhood for a little while now, but they're kind of hitting their stride. They got the independent shout out. They're doing like tortas ajalgadas and a lot of regional Mexican specialties. And also, I also wanted to shout out, they just opened where Patchy's used to be, the Santa Barbara Pizza House. It's the manager that used to work at Patchy's mm-hmm. is now running the show there. So you know how tough that can be when you take over something. You're like, oh, you know, let's let, we can do it right. We can do it, and but sometimes you don't get the time to exercise, execute your vision because you, maybe your funding isn't there. And I don't know what the situation is, but I know that we should support in the short term because in terms of Chicago deep dish options, you know, the, the West Coast has never had very many, and Patchy's was very good. And if they've kept any sort of the operations and stuff from the Patchy's, then they'll be in good shape. It's just that they need to get have time to kind of figure out who they are as a restaurant because they are probably like an independent entity. So I, I want to shout them out so they get the support because I do love deep dish and I do love Chicago thin crust as well. A lot of people will, you know, like, Oh, real Chicagoans don't eat deep dish. They only eat thin crust and stuff like that. So if you don't know what the Chicago thin crust style, the bar pie is all about, then they do the thin crust as well. But I am a deep dish guy. So I do love the deep dish there. I did love yeah. the deep dish at Patchy's and I do love the deep dish at the pizza house. So I want to sh- want to shout them out because if you're just 80% of the way there, for me, it's like bad pizza doesn't exist. Like bad pizza is still all right, you know? So if you're 80% of the way there with a deep dish, then it's good enough for me. And they are definitely there. So Hung, Hung likes uh, Little Caesars too. Oh, my, I even yeah. got my wife, I even got my wife on the Little Caesars thin crust, but they're, they're the Little Caesars pan pizza until Corner Tap showed up was the best representation of Detroit style pizza we had in town. So that is true though. That is now Corner Tap, Corner Tap is holding it down. They got oh, they, they're easily okay. easy, oh their their Detroit style pizza is very good. So they, they took the crown very easily, but at the same time, before they were there, there was no one else. And Detroit pizza was having a moment in LA. There's a lot of people doing it. So yeah. you wanted that like cheesy edges, crispy crust, you had to go down there or get a little Caesars. 
but now corner tap, I guess that's a good, that's a good third shout out corner tap yeah. on the Mesa. They're kind of neighbors. They're, they're Detroit style pizza. They got, you know, pulled pork sliders and, and all kinds of so their menu. Whole menu is pretty good, but that Detroit style pizza. Mm, 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 yeah. I've never had it. I'm about to hit it up. One. Yeah. They do that cheese on the outside. So they don't bake, it crisps up yeah. and you get that crunch. I mean, it's not for everybody because you know, the thick crust pizzas are quote unquote gut bombs. Like they, mm-hmm. like if, if you, if you know that you don't handle carbs, well, like you don't want to be kind of sleepy afterward. Like this is not something, I mean, corner tap isn't even open for lunch, but pizza house is mm-hmm. if you can't handle it. Cause you know, like I used to, I used to think I was tough eating any buffet than trying to go back to work. And I learned my lesson. Nope. I can't do it. So if you, you got to know your limits. So if you understand, if you, if you can hang then, then go for it, but otherwise save it for dinner. Cause it's, yeah. It, and it heats up well if you have an air fryer or toaster oven. So. Man, it's, it's lunchtime right now, guys. I'm, we're I'm getting close. Yeah. Yeah. Getting close. This is we, are, we are definitely getting close. What you got, Akil? <laughs> uh, I'm only going to go. I got two spots and I'll be quick. I think I've shot it out this one before or often too. Uh, Rory's. Uh, oh, yeah. But here's here's why, y'all. I know y'all out here listening to me like, yo, man, he's always dropping Rory's. But I received emails from Rory's about <laughs> new things. There's no shame in that. Yeah. yeah they... So I got an email yesterday. They have pumpkin ice cream. It's a cookie ice cream mm-hmm. sandwich, right? Pumpkin ice cream with two molasses cookies from Rory's. And so, you know me, I do what big guys do. We had Friday <laughs> last night. And he, he sent the screenshot of the email and then I, like maybe like an hour or two later, he shows a picture of it actually on, on like in his in his person. And everyone's like, You just went out and grabbed that? He's like, Show did. I'm like, oh, oh he, man, that's right. That's get, right. Oh, you just put my business out there like that on <laughs> for everybody here. Yeah, so, anyways, a- yes, that absolutely is true. That's is that's factual. I got the email yesterday and I went yesterday evening <laughs> and it was as advertised really good you got the key with ice cream sandwiches y'all you gotta like let it sit for a while I'm not like the type of person that has to pull it straight out and eat it right away I'm more like okay let it get a little soft a little bit and so that's that's just my opinion on it I let it kind of sit for about 10 minutes and man that thing was like <laughs> I ate that uh Roxanne stepped away she came back she said hey so when are you gonna eat your Ice cream sandwich. I was like, man, that thing's been gone. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> definitely it's seasonal. Get to Rory's ice cream. Get the the ice cream sandwich, the pumpkin ice cream. I feel like the, it could have used a little bit more ice cream, but the the texture and the flavor of the ice cream is amazing. Rory's, everyone knows that they don't disappoint. The other shout out I want to give the other uh, nod is Soul Bites. One of the, the meals that I really enjoyed from Soul Bites is their catfish. Their mm-hmm. fish and chips is actually pretty good, but it's like a Southern twist. So definitely, if you're feeling like you want some soul food, definitely hit up Soul Bites. Get the, I, I like the fish and chips a lot. And then the other thing that is really good that they make is the crackling, the chicken mm-hmm. crackling, man. It's mm-hmm. just the chicken skin deep fried. Uh, I'm not saying you, you know, go there often, but if you're ever feeling like you need that they definitely have that too and it's actually really good soul bites is awesome because they're the space where velvet jones used to be the music one of the music venues in town mm-hmm. and when velvet jones closed i was really worried about the space i'm like you know you can't really do too much with there's not much you can do music venues are not really profitable ventures anymore that have that size because of the way Ticketmaster and all that stuff works mm-hmm. so when when soul bites first came in i was skeptical but oh man he has knocked it out of the park He's got live entertainment or most nights, you know, regular on a regular basis. And the food with the size of the kitchen they're working with, it's a really small kind of kitchen in that corner, but they're cranking out. I mean, there, there was not a lot of soul food in Santa Barbara. I don't, I mean, I don't know if there was any soul food in Santa Barbara, even yeah. for in terms of restaurants, especially on state street, but they, they, they took, grabbed that torch and they've been running with it. And like everything I've had has been good. The crackling is amazing. Sometimes they don't have it. I'm really sad, but I try to like, like play it off cool. Like, Oh no, but yeah, the fried chicken's good. The catfish, uh, all the sides. The, he'll, have, he'll have desserts, you know, a lot of times, like the pudding, the banana pudding and stuff like that. And yeah. I think Akil was the one that hit me up on that. You know, when you and Lila were talking about it, I was like, oh, got to try it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is unreal. So <laughs> Okay, yeah. so since the last thing I'll say, Hong, you have to tell the listeners, one thing I suggested on the show a couple of years ago, Hong, my man, finally got around to trying it. Last week, 
And so you gotta let the people know, huh? You gotta let the people know. So the blenders, my, my word. Yes, yes. Akil on I've I don't remember which episode it was now, but he shouted out the blenders fifty fifty, but instead of orange, you get pineapple, pineapple juice, and pineapple sherbet. And I was like, oh, that sounds really good because especially because he said it tastes like a Dole Whip from Disneyland. And if mm. you have any experience at Disneyland. You mm-hmm. know, the Dole Whip is an iconic kind of thing. Like those lists of things you must do when you're at Disneyland. Dole Whip is on that list because the Dole Whip is just delicious. It's like you get a pineapple flavor with that hit of ice cream and it creates this textural blend. So Keel said this 50-50 smoothie, you know, was like a Dole Whip. And uh, in the back of my head, I'm like, mm, that, that sounds really good. I got to try it. I will try it someday. Never really tried it until recently, last week, a couple, couple days ago. Keel's like, all right, let's go to Blender's. I'm like, I'm finally going to do it. That was incredible. It was unreal. <laughs> it was just like a Dole Whip. It had the texture. It had that little ice cream like shot in the back, but the pineapple flavor was there because they're using actual juice and sherbet. Oh, yeah. I actually should have that off my picks with that because I, I guess I was trying to save some face or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, we're we're putting all that business out there. Yeah, for sure. Akil, I always call Akil the Yelp Whisperer jokingly, but truly – Truly, he can, he can cut right through all that nonsense and get to the heart of the matter. If I'm a blender, I like I and I was at blenders confused because the menu was so big and the, they asked me what add-on I wanted. I'm like, I didn't know what an add-on was, but all I knew was listen to what Akil told me: 50-50 sub pineapple, and it, it did not lead me astray. And I've been back multiple times since. I had to get one for my son so he could try it, and then <laughs> I had to get one so my wife could try it, and we're all hooked now. I like. Even my son, because I he, he gets like one dessert a night sometimes, and used to be he'd get a cookie or ice cream, and I'm like, "What do you want now?" He's like, "I want the pineapple. I want the <laughs> pineapple smoothie." So I'll drive with the blenders because they're open late. I mean, they're open until ten. Where most places, like even Rite Aid, because Rite Aid's ice cream is another go-to that we'll go to sometimes, but they close like nine nine thirty. They'll stop doing ice cream. Blenders open till ten consistently. So yeah, I'm in trouble for that respect. But I, I always steal a couple sips, so I'm good there too as well. So. <laughs> I will I will re-throw that in the show notes happily because oh my goodness. Although I can't order, I gotta talk to the blenders corporate because uh, using an online order, I can't input that properly. Like wow. sub, no OJ, no Sherbert, sub pineapple sub. Yeah. So but yeah, you just go in the store, order that that way. It's mm, 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 yes. Yeah. I'm over here taking notes. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for the show notes. I need yes. to the next couple yeah. days. On that note, segueing to our final segment, Higher Learning. Jing, kick us off again. Any piece of culture, book, movie, music, TV, anything, video game, whatever you like. Anything yeah. that has moved you now mm-hmm. or, or before. Mm-hmm. I'll go book because I just finished reading a book by Matthew Desmond called Poverty by America. And it was so eye-opening. So he is a sociologist, I believe, by training. And he wrote Evicted, which was also a very good read. Everything that he's he's written is good. But this, I think Poverty by America came out, I want to say this year. But it's, yeah, really well researched, very well referenced. A, a commentary, a manifesto in some ways about the state of poverty in the United States and how public policy kind of created that because of how how we do things here in the U.S. And he compares it to other countries and he makes suggestions about how it can be eliminated. The gap, the poverty gap can be reduced uh, quite easily by pulling, you know, the levers on certain things. But yeah, it was just really eye-opening. I didn't, haven't read the book, but I uh, NPR did a segment on it a while ago. And it was interesting kind of, you know, the premises involved in terms of the, the, the poverty line being set the way it is. So people that are just slightly above that poverty line are the mm-hmm. ones that are like really, really suffering. And that was something that I had known about for a while, but I never really felt because, you know, I, my family growing up, we were really poor. Like we were way below the poverty line. There was no mm-hmm. question about that. So the aid just flowed, you know, like welfare and all those things, mm-hmm. they flowed in easily. It wasn't until a lot later where I met more, you know, my friends or some middle-class friends and saw really their struggles and how, the, their struggles were were just as valid, not more so, because they would ask for help and never get it. And I would mm-hmm. ask for, and our family would ask for help, and people would be tripping over themselves to provide it, which was much appreciated. We needed it, but at the same time, uh, it, it created this sort of 
you know, this despondence among mm-hmm. that population. I, I saw that, you know, firsthand and that really, really struck me. So seeing, you know, when I heard the NPR segment on this book, I remember thinking clearly like, yeah, absolutely. That's a very salient premise because the nature of poverty in this country is, is kind of understated and it really does need to be reevaluated kind of in terms of how people are actually living. And, and you know, it, in general, most of our policies and procedures need that second glance and they never get it. So it's, it's good to, for more people to raise, raise mm-hmm. that, you know, raise attention issues like this. So great pick. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm really, I, I just pulled it up on online here and I just kind of looking at it and definitely interested in trying uh, to, to get to it and, and read it because it looks really well. And I think we all know, I mean, just being on campus and our basic needs and mm-hmm. the students that are and staff that are accessing our basic needs. And it's definitely an issue. Yeah. I'm curious about getting into it and reading it. I'm just, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we did talk about Maslow's triangle, Maslow's hierarchy mm-hmm. earlier, and that mm-hmm. bottom rung. I mean, you do forget how many folks are missing pieces of that bottom rung. Like they have certain things that are very well covered, but especially you know things like housing and stuff like that. Where yes, you you might be in an, uh, an apartment right now, but you may have a landlord who's just chomping at the bit to raise your rent fifteen percent in a year, or or chomping at the bit to sell and kick you out in a year. I mean, it's just those things where we have so much instability and it, and it is kind of roiling, you know, that's the, like a rolling boil, like the, the roiling insecurity mm-hmm. that folks face. I mean, it, it's all, it's constant, you know, like I, it's hard for me to, it's funny because I had to pause to go back to that mindset of when I was young, because I am like a, you know, comfy public sector sellout now, but you know, when I was young and, and living that grind, I, I remember it just being constant. And it was, even when you'd have a break, it was, it was a, a very temporary break because the next challenge was just coming down the line. And, and sometimes you would have an idea that it was coming. And sometimes it was like you said, Jing, where it was just circumstances were going to present themselves and, and just throw something at you. And you'd have to really kind of pivot and be quick. But uh, the other aspect of poverty is like, you know, as mentioned in the book, is talking about how, you know, there, there's room for social programs to improve, to address, address the shortcomings, you know, mm-hmm via tax breaks, via, you know, programs like welfare, which which had stigma before, but I hope we're past that now where we can just give help as quickly as possible, as much as as much as can can be budgeted for to as many people as possible and just, you know, give people money. <laughs> that's always that's mm-hmm. always been my answer for everything is if you want to solve a problem, programs and everything are great and information, but money is crucial for a lot of people and money is the driving force behind stress for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I mean, I hope I see universal basic income in my life, but I don't know if I don't know mm-hmm. if I will. But that would help a lot. I mean, just just there's so many ways you can attack this issue, and I think um, without having read the book, it's something where you could approach this from any angle, and you'd probably have a good argument because we really are not doing enough, and we're really not doing it where we don't have enough insight in the issue to do enough because we're kind of afraid of what we might find. I feel in, in a lot of ways. We don't Which want also feels part of the problem. That's a part of the property <laughs> is that we don't know, right? That's how it continues to to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it was so insightful. Um, I mean, he talks about the exploitation of workers, the poor, and how we keep poor people poor through a variety of things. Um, the exploitation of workers through wages, through housing, right? Access to credit and finances and payday mm-hmm. lenders and all just, he kind of talks about the whole gamut of things, and but also things that, I mean, that I do or take advantage of, and I don't think of it as exploitation, but in a systemic way it is, right? So he talks about welfare and how people look on, perceive welfare as handouts for the poor, but how the middle class and rich people get welfare from the government in in much higher numbers, right? So he talks about mortgage rate interest, like tax deductions, loopholes, uh, 529 plans, all of that is is subsidized by the government, how much money goes towards those plans that we take advantage of, but don't perceive as mm-hmm. welfare, right? Mm-hmm. Or handouts. And Akil cool. just shouted that out on our, our on our Miguel episode, talking yeah. about how, you know, we're so ashamed to ask for help and take on debt and you know do do things on credit but that's how the wealthy that's their main source of operation mm-hmm. is staying you know keeping that stuff their their roiling is roiling debt mm-hmm. uh, i guess our, our roiling poor people's roiling is roiling debt as well but it's just 
the, the, the oppression and the public perception on it is so different that it's just, it's kind of hilarious. Well, like it's shameful to take welfare, but everyone's writing off everything on their taxes, but it's not even an issue. So it's, it's like, yeah. And, and then our success metrics, I think need to be adjusted as well, because even when you see jobs reports and, and GDP and everything's like, everything's looking happy, you know, hunky dory in our economy right now. But you're like, you look at the, at the ground level, individual stories and things are still tough. It's nice to celebrate those wins as, as they are, but also to recognize that the issues still persist and are pervasive. And it, it's, like you can do both. I feel like you don't have to be all, you know, sunshine lollipops. But you don't have to be all like it's you know down in the dumps. But there, I feel like there's there's more room to to embrace that dichotomy and do both and really help individuals where they are, but also understand that on the whole that you know the, the economy still moves and 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 things are things are still going. So yeah, yeah. All right. Great choice. Great choice. <laughs> I'll go next. Um, my pick is an animated show. Um, it's on, on HBO uh, Max. Uh, I don't know where it's streaming on. T- I don't know where it's on TV, but I know it's streaming on HBO Max. It's called Scavengers Reign. It's uh, it's in the style. It the style is done. It reminds me a lot of this uh, French artist Mobius. Mobius teamed with Alexander Jodorowsky to do a lot of great seminal kind of comics and stories back in the 80s and 90s my, one of my favorite stories is called Le Incal, the Incal, the french comic it's like sci-fi kind of bend and that was mobius and yodorowsky but mobius art mobius's art style i mean he did concept drawings for the dune movie he's done a lot of comics over the years you know mad woman of the sacred heart adina another world there so these artists i don't know if they're french but i know they are definitely mobius influenced because it just feels like it throughout and it's a great show. It's very grisly. It's very visceral because it's just the idea of like, it's a sci-fi kind of tint where they're stranded on a, a remote planet and trying to kind of get back. But just the art style and the animation is very, very clean. And, but it's very visceral. Like my, I tried to get my son to watch it. He said it was too nasty for him. So it's, <laughs> so you, I mean, it's, it's not like really gory, like horror, but it is very visceral and kind of gross. So that's, that is mm-hmm. a, a warning. It is, it is rated for mature audiences. But it's it's accessible. It's not straight horror, but it's very tense. But I just, I mean, it really just floored me. It's it's something where I watch a lot of animation. I watch a lot of stuff, and I, I haven't seen anything that felt like such like new and fresh. Even though it's very indebted to its influences, like it feels very new and fresh in terms of of animation and just you know the the story that it's telling is uh, seems just very cool. So I wanted to shout that out for sure. And it also gave me a chance to shout out, like I said, Mobius and Yonarowski uh, for all their comics that have carried me over the years. And I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. But yeah, Scavengers yeah. Rain. And it's based on an original short they did, but I'm hoping that they get another season to tell more stories because, again, the, the art style, I mean, it, it, beyond the viscera and, and all the detail there, just really kind of cool storytelling and world building there. So great choice. Awesome, Rick. Yeah. What you got, Akil? So uh, I got just one thing only today and something that I'm super proud of and, and really helped enrich our campus is I'm going to go with the new AAPI mural. All right. Um, awesome. I think that's something that is, you know, in so many different ways and do- different uh, reasons that it was obviously much needed. We know that that the people who the artists that had performed the mural and Han, you can jump in here anytime because you probably know more than me, but it's a company called Twin Walls Mural Company. And it's an uh, ran by, I believe, two Asian women. And they're based out of the Bay Area. Shout out to AAPI for selecting them and bringing them down and, and creating uh, such a beautiful mural on our campus centering the Asian diaspora or just people seeing themselves. I was talking to them when they were here and they were telling us a story about some people showing up and just being really emotional. And, and you know, the first time they've ever seen themselves represented in a way where they felt seen or heard. But, you know, it kind of led me to the conversation of having, telling them that, you know, I've always believed that artists are more than just artists. I, in a lot of ways, I feel that they're healers. Just hearing the stories of people showing up to the mural and, and crying and just releasing that. I'm like, yeah, you guys thought you were here to paint a mural, but what you're actually here to do is heal people. I just think that anyone that's on our campus should uh, be intentional about making their way over there on the backside of, um, I guess the the closest place uh, is by the cafeteria, right? 
the backside of the cafeteria, out on the patio. That's where you would find it. Just amazing uh, work, amazing detail, beautiful colors, just an amazing job at, at, at incorporating as many cultures as possible. That's a big task with just within itself, but just feel honored and appreciative of Santa Barbara City College for making this happen and shout out to API and all those who put their time and effort into making our campus a better place for everybody. So that's, that's my pick for the show. Yeah. I mean, shout out SBCC for helping to get that mural installed. Also, the Emoja mural on the other side of the wall and the Manuel Unzueta mural on the other side. So the Campus Center right now is on and popping visually. It's it's, it's beautiful. I mean, if, if you haven't seen any of the murals or if you have seen some, but not all of them, it's worth taking just a walk around and seeing how beautiful the building is now and, and how it pops. I mean, because, you know, as mm-hmm. someone who loves street art and that kind of thing, that th- this is truly art for the people. You don't have to go to a gallery and you can just walk by, appreciate the art however you want to. And just really bask in the beauty that it is. So it's it's really awesome. I will say, you know, me growing up, I never thought I I needed representation. For me, I was just used to kind of being anonymous and being in the shadows and not needing that representation. But for my son, seeing my son as you know, he's now the only the only Asian kid in his classes, one of the few Asian. I don't think he might be the only Asian kid in his school, but there might be another one. But for him, it's much more important and, and seeing how he felt, how stoked he was about the whole thing that really turned me around the whole thing where I guess I'm just old and jaded and not, <laughs> but, but for the youth, for the young people, it, it was, it was really helpful to see how much he appreciated that representation, how much he needed it. And it doesn't matter what I think at the end of the day about this stuff, because it's not for me in that respect. I love, I appreciate it as, as a piece of art and, and all that stuff, but for him, and seeing how important it is for him, that's that's all I ever need to to yeah see the importance of of that in our community. So, well, I mean, I think, uh, and I'll say this right, like I'm listening, and I can relate to myself too as being one of only one black person in the school, or definitely one black person in the classroom, right? And so many spaces where you're showing up, and you're the only one, and you know, just the the piece of really always wondering, are you good enough? Or people really understand you, what you mean when you say what you're saying, or how are people going to judge you? Like all those feelings that are deeply embedded in us. And I I even hear them even when you were just talking, Hong, about how it's, you know, you didn't really think representation mattered. And probably the reason why you, you know, you've probably felt that way is because the consequences of representation, right? So in order for you to like I used to think the same way to a certain degree. Like I didn't like I don't think that's really for me. You know, I just kind of want to navigate these spaces and get along with everybody because the consequences of seeing yourself is impactful, right? And so that's the piece where people are showing up and they're crying because that's buried deep inside them, right? And artists have the magical ability or capability of bringing all that out of people because now they're like, yeah, I didn't think I needed it. But now I realize it is important, not only for me, but for my child, right? So I just think like, it's such a beautiful, like what you're saying, you can literally walk around the building and get three different mm-hmm. flavors of just artistic ability. You know, it's like Baskin Robbins. You got <laughs> the different colors, the tigers, the vibrant from the the AAPI mural. And then you go around to the side and you hit with the Afrofuturism and this, and then you go around to the front and you're hit with some a piece that's a timeless piece that was created in the 70s and what was going on. It's just such a such a special place and and uh, to be in. I just kind of want to remind the viewers to kind of show up and visit these places because I always feel recharged once I go there. Now I got to go all the way around all the time, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think represent like you, you both said, you don't feel like you need it until you have it. And you're like, oh, yeah. this is <laughs> this is what this piece does, right? I mean, there's definitely, I mean, for me, there was a, a rejection of my identity in the beginning before I was able to embrace that. And I think if you're, I don't know, if you're lucky, there's um maybe a denial or just ignoring that part of identity. If you're not lucky, then there's a rejection and like a people vilify it, right? But especially when it comes to race and ethnicity, this is identity that you you wear. <laughs> That's like 100% visible. It doesn't matter if you try to reject they it. They're coming off. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So it's just so nice to see, yeah, especially the, the API mural and how it's a celebration of 
the diverse identities. And also I love how they did the little vignettes in was it CPO or however you want to describe it of the, the dark times. Right. And how, Mm -hmm. how this particular group has, yeah, had its fair share of, of of strife. So yeah, I just think it's so well done. I mean, it really was an impossible task. I mean, we, we asked Mm -hmm. them to represent Asian culture, you know, almost as much as they could get in there. in that size of a wall. I mean, if you had eight times the wall, you couldn't fit it all in there, but they, they did a great job. I mean, they Natural really, they really did. Yeah. They did it. They did an excellent job. And, and I will say like, I just want to preface my, my mindset is, is very unique. I've grown up my whole life feeling like I owe everybody else something, you know, like I owe America for giving me my livelihood for give my parents a, a safe harbor when they needed it. I've always been, oh, 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 I've never asked for anything in return. I never, you know, I've, I've tried to position myself to not have to, you know, to take anything in return. So it's, it's just, that's just, uh, like I said, I'm a, I'm a crotchety old man now. So, <laughs> so I can, I can even add that on top of that. I never thought I needed it, but it's something that is, is it's just seeing how my son it, it interacts with the interfaces with it. I can abide by that for sure. And I definitely respect that. Absolutely. So. Okay. All right. Great picks, y'all. Great show. Jing, thank you for coming on, taking the time. It was an honor. Before we say goodbye for this episode, is there any any last words, any final shout outs, anything? Yeah, no, I mean, not really. Just come come by the International Education Center. Say hi to international students around campus. Think about study abroad. Shout out to all my team. They make it so easy to work here. Yeah, it's just a really nod and acknowledgement of what international education is and what makes this campus so beautiful so thank you so much for having me on this is super fun i want to eat with you guys so. <laughs> we'll, we'll do, do it. it we'll make it happen we yeah, can for do sure. it right now let's go to lunch I mean, it's, it's lunch time i'm ready to hit up. all right all right hang up the phone let's go <laughs> yeah let's do it like, all right we'll, y'all we'll, after we finish recording we'll talk about it <laughs> we'll figure something out so yeah and um as always akil thank you so much thank you huh? and thank you all listeners until the next time this was vaquero voices take care y'all peace all right. bye